Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Kiddushin, daf Samach Vav, page 66. Um, okay, I'm starting towards the top of the daf, but not at the very top of the daf. We have a dilemma, Ibayelahu, this was you know raised before, whichever sages were there, we'll find out who they were in a moment. Ishto zimta be'edachad. So the husband is told by one witness that his hus- that his wife rather has committed adultery. Now the question is, you know, how does the husband respond? Vishotek. So he's silent, right? He doesn't he doesn't protest. He doesn't say that didn't happen. He didn't say, oh yeah, I knew about it. He doesn't answer. So the question is, Mahu, right? What's the halacha going to be under these circumstances? Um, because he required because he remained quiet. Amar Abai Ne'aman, Rav Amar Eno Ne'aman. So the question is, do we consider this witness credible because, when the husband himself hasn't responded in any way? Abai says yes, Rav says not credible. Because Rav says, one second, we're talking about a topic that is really about erva, meaning nakedness, meaning forbidden sexual relations. And we there's a general principle that he's referring to where he says, we don't deal with testimony about Davashaba Erva, the this kind of topic, meaning this kind of issue, with only one witness. We would need to have two witnesses to establish the facts on the ground. The fact that one guy comes forward, that's not enough. Amar Abaye, but so what does Abaye say? Mana mean Allah. What is why do I say that um that the witness is credible? Dahu Samya Dahava Musader Matmita Kame the Marshmore. He says there's a blind man. He does a whole story here, right? This is unusual, I think. Um, that there's a time where a certain blind man um, would come and learn um, Mishnayot with Marshmul. Yomachad Nagale Havakaate. And one day, Marshmul sent a messenger. I'm sorry, one day the blind man was late. He didn't come. Shadar Shlicha Abatre. So Shmuel sent Marshmul, rather sent a messenger after him, you know, like, find out, is he coming, is he not coming, to help him along. Now, while the messenger went to the blind man's house, the blind man arrived, you know, for Marshmallow. A different route, right? Whatever. They miss each other. So then, when the, when the messenger comes back, Amar, the messenger comes back and he says he's been to this blind man's house. He saw that, in fact, the wife was committing adultery, right? The blind man is not home. So the blind man then comes before Marshmul and says, you know, is he supposed to pay attention to this testimony or not? And Marshmul says to, says to the blind man, if you trust this shaliach, if you trust this messenger, then you should go and divorce her. And if you do not, then don't divorce her. Meaning if you don't trust the if you don't trust the shaliach, then you don't have anything to worry about. But if you do trust him, then he didn't say, oh, you need another witness. My love. So Abai says, right, then doesn't this come to teach if he's trusted to you, trusted by you, you're already trusting him that he's not a thief, right, that he would go to your house. So you're trusting him that he's valid as a valid witness to begin with. So then we have a case, you know, the whole development of this story says, lo and behold, it was just one witness, not two. And that's, you know, enough to establish the story. 
Verava, Imahamanlach Kvitre, Zil Apka, Vilo Lotapka. And Rava would say, Marshmul meant if he is trusted, if you trust this guy as if he were two witnesses, meaning we need two witnesses, generally speaking. But in this case, you only have one. Do you trust him as much as the facts that would be established by two, two people giving testimony? If so, then, you know, then go divorce her. And if not, then do not divorce her. Meaning Rava says, this is not proof of anything. So Bay goes on, right? So how is he, he's still trying to defend like the rationale that he has that the one witness is sufficient in this case. And he keeps bringing stories that are going to illustrate, you know, the validity of his position. And this one is longer and complicated. Um, and, you know, when we get to the end of it, I'm going to hand it back to Yardena um, because the, we, there's not that much to, the story itself kind of speaks for itself. So there's a king, Yanai, right? Um, I don't think we're going to stop now, Yordana, to do any who's who. We'll talk about Yanai at some other time. But, well, um, we could just talk about him. I mean, you know, he's basically a king. He's, uh, you know, not a good king. He's uh, His sister is Shlom Sion Hamalka. Um, and, you know, the thing about him is, is that he, he lives during the time of Shimon ben Shetta. And he he kills uh, all the Chachamim. And this gets referenced multiple times. Remember that Shimon ben Shetta is one of the Zugot. Uh, this is sort of pre-Tanaitic. Um, you know, he's, uh, so, you know, he's ruling over, like, this is part of the the Hasmonean dynasty. Okay. That's a sorry. great... Wait, I want to say this. And he... Ma- Sorry, I misspoke. His sister, he marries his brother's widow, who is Shlomsion Hamalka. It's not his sister. He marries his brother's widow, who's Shlomsion Hamalka. So, so he his marries sister his sister. Becomes... That's, I misspoke, yes. Okay. Um, but again, this is like a, a good, I think, you know, um, synopsis of a who's who here. So Yana goes to this area of Kohalit, which is in the wilderness, the desert, whatever. And what does he do there? Vikibe Sham Shishim Krachim. He conquers 60 cities. He comes back. He's rejoicing, you know, over his victory. He calls all of the sages of Israel. He says, our ancestors would eat salty foods when they were busy building the Beit HaMikdash. The implication seems to be something about their their um, their lack of wealth. But in any case, right, this is what they would do. We will also eat salty food in their memory. So he brought, they, you know, he had his people bring salty foods. They have these tables of gold. They sit and they eat. There's somebody there who's just like a low life. He's a scoffer. He's he's got a bad heart, evil heart. Um, I saw one translation call him a scoundrel, right? Like we get the idea of who this person is, what kind of personality um, or ethics this person has. This is his name. Elazar ben Poira. He says to the king, So he says, the hearts of the Prushim, the sages, are against you. Alecha, meaning they're against you. There's some like, you know, resentment. They don't like you. It, you know, he doesn't specify. He's just fomenting trouble. 
hakem lahem batzitz shaben enecha. So, what should I do to you know, like the the king's question here is, what can I do to 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 delve into this matter, like what, to clarify what's going on? And so, Elazar ben Poira says, have them all stand wearing the tzitz, this um, like a, pl- a plate of metal, right, that goes between your eyes. Hakem lahem batzitz shaben enav. And likewise, I meaning this is because the whole issue here is Yanai is from the Yordan, you said this, right? Yanai is from the Hasmoneans. The Hashmanaim were Kohanim. They're not supposed to be kings, right? Kohanim and kings are not supposed to be the same families, but in this era, that's what happened. It's part of the downfall. Um, so Yanai at some point had also been the Kohen Gadol wearing this front plate. And so he has the Prussian then stand there with the front plate when he's standing. I'm sorry, I've said this wrong. That he stands there with a front plate between his eyes. Okay, so that's the setting so far. Hayasham Zakenachad. So now there's another person in this story, and his name, Yehuda ben Gedida, Gedidia, that's his name. Yehuda ben Gedidia Shmo, Vayomer Yehuda ben Gedidia, Yana Yamelech, Yana Yamelech. So again, this gentleman, Yehuda ben Gedidia, says to King Yana, Yana, Rav Lacha Keter Malchut. He says, the crown of the malchut, of the monarchy, is you know, enough for you. You should be satisfied that you're the king. Leave aside that crown of kahuna, of priesthood, for the children of, from the family, right? The children of Aaron, which is the Levi'im. And they would then say, right, or they did say, I guess, that Yanai's mother, this is where it gets, again, more complicated, perhaps she had been taken captive in Modi'in because she'd been taken captive. Even when she was released, she was not qualified to marry into the Kahuna. So, which already like calls into question Yanai's um, Yichus, his lineage, because he's a Halal. He he has a status of not really um, fully functional as a Kohen. And so then, what happens? They checked into it and they. Like we're looking for witnesses about Yanai's mother, nobody was found. And so then all of these Israel, the sages, were kicked out because the king was so so angry because of this rumor and then how it was handled. And so then Elazar ben Poir, the scoundrel guy, comes back, he says to Yanai, Yanai You're talking about uh the what's you know the question is what what's the judgment of this common person commoner right a uh, hedyot meaning you're gonna kick out the person who's slandering a regular guy but now you're the king and you're the kohen gadol and you're also going to like just kick him out like isn't isn't shouldn't there be something worse here is the point he doesn't say it outright or at least not in this rendition of the gemara but that's the implication. If you listen to my advice, he says, Romsem. Romsem, pulverize them, really. And so then Yanai says, but then what's going to happen to the Torah if I pulverize all the Chachamim? So Elazar ben Purira says, it's you know it's wrapped up nicely. It's kept in the corner. Don't worry. Call Erotelil mode. Anybody who wants to come and learn will come and learn. Yavovil mode, right? Meaning the implication being, who needs these sages? Um, and of course, then there's a there's like a, a pause here 
in the way the Gemara tells the story, and it brings in Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, who says the Yanai like stopped believing, and like it, instead of saying that, no way, man, like the Torah needs to be protected, and that's what the sage's job is. He kind of like he hearkens to Elazar ben Poira, and the story goes, and it continues here on this stuff that all of the Chachamim were killed. And then there was no Torah in the world, right? Left, you know, is desolate. It says literally, Mishtomim, this, you know, very barren, desolate uh, world free from Torah, absent Torah. And Shimon Ben Shetach restored the Torah to the former glory. So it then goes in. I mean, the Gemara comes back to our original question. Abai wants to focus not on all the drama of this case, but specifically on the detail about how there were no, there weren't witnesses, there certainly weren't two witnesses. And so therefore you can have even just the rumor can end up like being, um, like having weight in the context of a decision, you know, going back to the decision of whether or not we have to, whether that couple would have to get divorced because there was a, a, one, a one witness saying that he saw that the wife had, been having an affair like it, it to me this is one of those cases where one of those times where the Gemara like steps so far afield to come back for a narrow halachic point where the you know where the field was really like the the essence of what they were really talking about yeah well I, I think what's interesting here is that it you know it, we it fills in a lot of information about Shimon Ben Shetach and that whole time period and one of the things that's very interesting to me is that if you look in the first parak of Perke Avos, which sort of goes through a way from Shimon Hatzadik, which is second temple in Gadol, and then goes all the way through, um, uh, you know, to uh, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, essentially. It's going to go, that, which gets to in Perak Bet of Perke Avos. So when it talks about Shimon Ben Shetach, remember, he's what a pair. So he's with Yehuda Ben Tabai. So the statement that he gives, the Mishnah that they teach, it's it's the ninth Mishnah of that first paragraph is, you should be very thorough when you interrogate witnesses. So I just feel like, it, unless you know this whole story about Shimon Ben Shetach and sort of what started this whole thing, right? The whole thing was based on witnesses. It, it What he teaches or how they choose to represent him, it can't be any accident that that's the Mishnah that's quoted in his name in Perkeavos. Oh, right. I mean, the the construction here is artful, and it's really a terrible, terrible story. So, the, you know, I, you know, for one of our dissertation topics here, Dana, I think this story, maybe somebody's already done it. I think it merits a whole lot more attention. Yeah. So, again, I just just putting it together with that Mishnah. So look at that Mishnah in Perkei Avos, uh, chap, chapter one, uh, uh, Mishnah nine. Okay, I'm going to move on later. There's a very long brace here. Um, and what's basically happening is there, again, we're discussing this whole issue, uh, you know, about witnesses and there's between Rava and Abaye and Rava to prove his point, right? That a single witness basically um, can't establish a disqualification in Erva matters, even when nobody contradicts him, right? That you can't have just one witness quotes a very, very long brisa to prove this. So I just want to show what, you know, discuss this brisa a little bit. It's not, okay? It was uh, taught in a brisa. I'm a Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon said, There was an incident with the pool of diskim, 
in the town of Yavna. Right? This seems to be a person who lived in Yavna. The pool was used as a mikvah. It was thought to be full, meaning uh, it had 40 seahs of water and therefore could be used as a mikvah. And it always had that amount of, of water in it. But then they measured it, the nimseit chaser, and they found that it had, did not have the 40 seahs of water that a kosher mikvah needs. Kolta ruchanasu agaba. So anything that was made tahor from this mikvah, Haya Rabbi Tarfan Mitahir, Rabbi Akiva Mitameh. Rabbi Tarfan said, okay, it's still considered to be Takor, and probably going forward, you couldn't use that mikvah. But if, you know, retroactively, he wasn't going to say anything was Tameh. Whereas Rabbi Akiva said, no, it was Tameh. Because according to Rabbi Akiva, we just don't know when it became that filled. Whereas Rabbi Tarfan saying, well, we, you know, we just don't know. We, maybe it just became under 40 seahs at the time that we actually measured it. So the Bryce goes on and says, I'm a Rabbi Tarfon, right? Rabbi Tarfon says, Mikvah ze bechazkat shalem ku omed. This mikvah, we assume for it to be full. Because of a doubt that you have, you're coming to rule that it's lacking. Don't consider it lacking because of a doubt. I'm a Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, Adam ze bechazkat tame ku omed. Right? The person who uses mikvah should be assumed to be tame. But because of a doubt, you want to make him tahor. Don't make something tahor because of a doubt. So they each have opposing views of how to look at this. And then what's going to happen is, is each tana is going to come and bring a different halacha to try to prove their point. Right? He says this is like a Kohen who's standing and bringing uh, uh, sacrifices on the Mizbeach. And then it becomes known to him that he's a son of divorcee or the son of a chalutza. So he's basically a disqualified coin. Shavadatok Shera. We still say that any avoda he did up until that point is considered to be kosher. So this should also apply to the mikvah, right? Even though at that moment we find that the mikvah is not a kosher mikvah, anything that was done in that mikvah beforehand should be considered okay. Rabbi Akiva is going to cite a way to disagree with that. I'm a Rabbi Akiva. Mashallah this is like a Kohen who's standing and offering sacrifices on the Mizbeach, the Nodeshahu Balmum, and then we found that he had a blemish, right? We know that there were certain physical uh, disqualifications a Kohen would have. Shavadatob Sulat. And in that case, any of the Avodi he did is actually considered to be disqualified. Um, and so the Brysa goes on and says, Amar Rabbi Tarfan, so Rabbi Tarfan says, Rabbi Kiva, Atatimido Tola Balmum. You compared the person who went to the mikvah to a, you know, to a Kohen with a Moom. Whereas I compared him to the Kohen, this person went to the mikvah to the son of divorcee or the son of a chalutza. Let's see who he's really comparable to. Is he comparable to the son of a divorcee or the son of a chalutza? Then we judge him as we would the son of divorcee or the son of a chalutza. And therefore we would say, in other words, if we compare it the way, then the person who went to the mikvah is valid and he's still tahor. But if we want to compare him to the balmum case of a Kohen, right, then we would judge him as a balmum and then he would be considered tameh. So Rabbi Akiva began to sort of judge the case. Right, the disqualification of a mikvah can come through one witness. And the disqualification of a blemish coin can also come through one witness. 
right? So therefore, it would seem that that actually is how you should compare it. The Baal can be compared to this person who went to the mikvah. Okay, but the son of divorce here, the son of Chalutza, that can only be proven with two. Okay, now again, this is what Rav is talking about, that in order to disprove an erba, uh, you need to have to prove an erba, you have to have two. Rav Yekiva goes on and says, right, right, the mikvah itself is puzzle, balmum psulo begufo. The Balmu means the coin himself is puzzled, so that's also why they're more comparable. Whereas the case, the son of the divorcee, the Chalutza, is disqualified because of others, not because of something inherent to them. Amar Le Rabbi Tarfran, so we're hearing these arguments, Rabbi Tarfran said, Akiva, whoever, whoever separates himself from you, it's as if he separated himself from life. Um, and so again, so Rava is going to go on to say, right, that, uh, you know, he's going to, to, to go on to talk about how this proves this point that you can't have a single witness. But what I liked about this Mishnah is, you know, it's, it's a classic Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarphone exchange. Um, and that where we see sort of like Rabbi Tarphone is, Rabbi Akiva sort of has this very, you know, intellectual way of interpreting things that even somebody like Rabbi Tarfon, who, by the way, is a Kohen, okay, so just keep that in mind. He's a Kohen. He understands the business of Kohanim. And then even he is willing to accept Rabbi Akiva, who, remember, is an outsider. He doesn't, you know, become a Talmud Chacham until he's 40. Um, and yet he's still willing to accept Rabbi Akiva's interpretation. So, I don't know. This stuff is good. It has a lot of good personality stuff on it. It does. I think it's a tricky duff. I think it's a complicated duff. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgin website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.